Well, today I would like to talk with you about commitment. Now, when I just say that word, the word commitment, what, how do you feel? Do you feel a little bit apprehensive? Do you feel some butterflies in your stomach? Feel a little bit guarded? Okay, what's he going to say next? Say someone's getting ready to um, ask you to commit to something, whether it's to do something or to buy something or to give something. What's your typical reaction? Do you find yourself getting a little bit anxious or mentally closing off even before you know what the need is? Who do you typically respond to in that way and why is that? Let me ask, ask you this way. How do you typically react when God is trying to ask you to make some sort of commitment in your life? Is that easy for you? Or is it a challenge for you sometimes? Is it something you look forward to hearing from God? Or is it something you tend to avoid? These days, commitment isn't something that people tend to look forward to, is it? In fact, it's something that most of us try to avoid. But we don't, li- we don't like commitments oftentimes because we don't want to... Commit our, we don't want to get stuck with doing something that we maybe don't want to do later down the road. Even when it comes to showing up or RSVPing for something sometimes, we are avoiding those sorts of things because maybe there's something better that will come along later or maybe we're afraid we're going to disappoint someone, right? Recently, I heard Pastor Rick Warren talk about this idea of commitments and he said something that really stuck with me. He said, our lives are built and shaped by our commitments, Our lives are built and shaped by our commitments. Great lives tend to be built around great commitments. Because great people are just ordinary people who make great commitments to causes greater than themselves. I'm going to say that again. Great people are just ordinary people. But they're people who make great commitments to causes greater than themselves. None of us are really born great, are we? I mean, none of us other than maybe Einstein or someone, is born with superhuman DNA toward greatness. Great people are people who commit to great things at great cost for great reasons. I mean, think about this. Who would you consider in your life to be great? When you think about maybe a time when you were younger, who would you have put in that category? Would it have been Michael Jordan or Bill Gates Would it have been, maybe if you're a little bit older, would it have been John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. or Ronald Reagan? I mean, we look at people like that and we think, oh, if I was only lucky enough to have been born into that family or been born with the privileges that they had or with the gifts and talents that they have. But if you were to ask any of them if they were alive today, what made you great? They wouldn't point to those things. They'd say, well, it took a lot of hard work and it took commitment. Teresa and I have always been inspired by the life of a man who lived like 800 years ago. His name was St. Francis of Assisi. He was born wealthy, but that didn't really make him great. In fact, his father disowned him and and took away all of his inheritance when God started to really work in his life. He committed to radically loving God's creation, people and animals. He committed to loving people even who had leprosy and caring for their needs. And he even went so far as to committing to loving people even when it meant doing without anything himself. He wouldn't say that he was born great. He would say today, I was committed 
to what God asked me to do. You know, there are other people in my life that I have considered great. I remember my 20s really looking up to Mother Teresa and just saying, wow, if I had the heart and compassion that she had for people. I mean, it wasn't that she was born into greatness. She was born into kind of into poverty herself, but she chose to live that life in order to love those that God called her to love. I think about my grandmother and the impact that she had on my life, and it was an impact that was made through the commitments that she had. I think about Hugo Gomez, who some of you have heard me talk about, a, a uh, medical doctor and pastor who lives in Quetzaltenango, Guatemala, a uh, place none of you will probably ever go to. But he isn't, known, he isn't known because of his wealth or his fame. He's known because he is committed to loving people in the remote countryside of Guatemala, and he has done so for many, many years. With each one of them, what makes them special is their commitment. We tend to become whatever we are the most committed to, don't we? Pastor Rick even went so far as to say, if you don't commit yourself to anything, you become nothing in life. Think about that. If you don't commit yourself to something, you become nothing in life. You can't live life without making some kinds of commitments. Isn't that true? I mean, you can't buy a house or a car without making a commitment. You can't hold down a job without commitment. You can't get married and you certainly can't stay married without commitment. And you certainly can't make any kind of positive impact or difference in this world without some kind of commitment. And the commitments in life that are the most worth making are the ones, if you think about it, that involve sacrifice on our parts. Commitments define our lives. And the key is that we make good ones in this life. Ones that add meaning and purpose to our lives. Ones that meet the needs that God has shown us deep down are the most important. And that he wants us to do something about Ones that stretch you, that, that stretch your faith. And it cause you to have to depend on God at times rather than relying on your own power and your own pocketbook. Lately in this series, we've been learning what it means to live a life by faith. Not just to have faith, but to walk in faith. To, to live by faith. Because faith is more than just some set of religious beliefs. Faith is like a muscle that we learn to exercise and it as we build a relationship with God. And having faith is so important to God that God tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that without it, it's impossible to please Him. Without that one thing, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith in action over a span of time is commitment. Today we're going to see and grasp the value of commitment when it comes to faith. Faith is put into motion when we commit to it. When we choose to walk a path with God, trusting God, even when it stretches us, even when it involves sacrifice, and even when it makes us uncomfortable. We see great examples of this in the book of Joshua 
in the scriptures. In fact, one of the examples we're going to look at today is Joshua chapter 6. But I would encourage you, turn in, with you, in your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua 6 this morning. We'll be there for most of our time today. And if you don't have your Bibles, but you have your smartphone or tablet, feel free to go to mygrace.church and you can follow along with the scriptures and the sermon notes there this morning. What we're going to see today is something very simple but very important. And that is this. Our faith shows and it grows through the commitments that we make and the commitments that we keep. Our faith shows before each other, before our community, before our world. And it grows even in our own hearts based on those two things. The commitments that we make in this life and the commitments that we keep, that we follow through with through to the end. Particularly those commitments that stretch our faith and cause us to live by faith. So as you're turning to chapter 6, let me just, if I can, I'm going to just take just a moment to lay some groundwork for you based on what was in chapter 5. In chapter 5, God's people is, are, are reestablishing their covenant or their commitment to God. But everyone else around the Israelites at that time, they are fearful and they're actually even hostile toward God and toward God's people. In fact, you notice it says in chapter 5, verse 1, it says that these people around the Israelites, they had, at the end of the verse, it says they had lost heart and they were paralyzed with fear because of them and because of their God. People generally have hostility and fear toward God when they don't believe and put their trust in Him. And that is certainly true here. By the way, I'm just going to stop there for a moment, and I'm going to take a little side trip here, um, because this is important. Some of you have been struggling with this, and I, I want to address this this morning before I even go any further. Some of you, you've been reading through the book of Joshua, and you've been struggling as you've been reading, and you've been asking yourself this question. How can a God, who is a loving God, call for the killing of people like this, right? I mean, if you've been reading through Joshua with us, you see that there's a lot of death in the book of Joshua, a lot of people who weren't following God who were being killed in the process. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here this morning. This isn't our focus. But let me just touch on this for a moment and say this. In the Old Testament, before there was a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus, God took serious measures to deal with rebellion and hostility toward His will. Those who chose to reject God, whether they were Israelites or not, God gave warnings for a while, but eventually God would bring justice and judgment upon people. We see this in the, in, all the way back into Genesis with the story of the flood in Noah's day, right? We see it in the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see it with the Egyptian Pharaoh and his people. And we even see it with God's people, with the Israelites, when they refused to follow God, when they chased after other gods, and God kept saying, guys, don't do this, turn back to me. But eventually... Uh, because they wouldn't do so, they became slaves and casualties of a foreign king, the king of Babylon. God is not unmerciful. God isn't vindictive. And the God of the Old Testament is not a different God than the God of the New Testament. God is persevering, He is long-suffering, and He is gracious. And it says in the Scriptures that God exhibits mercy to those who honor His name and to those who honor His word. But God is not one who passively sits back and watches his creation thumb their noses at him and do detestable, abhorrent things forever. Deuteronomy 18 says this. This makes it really clear. 
It says, when you come into the land, God's talking to the Israelites. He says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, don't follow the disgusting practices of the nations that are there. Don't sacrifice your children in the fires on your altars, which they were actually doing in that day. And don't let your people practice divination and look, at, look for omens or use spells or charms. And don't let them consult the spirits of the dead. The Lord your God hates people who do these disgusting things. And that is why he is driving these nations out of the land as you advance. And then God says to his people, be completely faithful to me. God knew this would happen. God knew centuries before when Abraham was alive on the earth. And God actually told Abraham, there will come a day when, you, when future generations that will come from you, they will inherit this land that you see today because the people who will be living in it will refuse to follow me. God wanted to stop these horrible acts. But eventually his people, God's people, would actually start to copy those acts and God would send them into slavery and captivity in Babylon for it. Now with that said, let's take a look at Joshua 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or to go in to the city. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and its war, and its strong warriors. So Joshua is preparing to attack this city. This is the first stop in their journey uh, as, as they have crossed the Jordan River. And this is easier said than ju- done because Jericho, as we now know, had not one but two walls around this city. There was one wall that has now been discovered that was an outer wall that was about six feet thick. And then there was an inner wall just inside that one that was another 12 feet thick. These double walls plus the elevated position of the city made this city virtually impregnable. Several years ago, the New York Times and Time Magazine both released articles about the discovery of Jericho's ruins, which happened several years ago. And they both, both of these articles talked about the spot-on accuracy that was found in the biblical account. It was like exactly what they found. You see, the people of Jericho, they had, put their, they had these walls and they had closed the gates because they were afraid of the Israelites. And they were afraid, really, of God. They didn't want to serve God. They didn't want to follow God. They wanted to keep him away. Now, notice what God says that they're to do to possess this land. Now, this isn't a very sound battle plan, just so you know. But let's see what this battle plan looks like. Joshua 6, starting in verse 3. It says, You and your fighting men, Joshua, should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests... Give one long blast on the ram's horns. Have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. That is God's battle plan, folks. That's how God said, this is how you're going to take the city. This 18 foot thick walled city full of people. You're going to shout. You're going to walk around 
over and over again in silence, in circles, day after day. Talk about commitment. I mean, how many of you would sign up for that? I mean, it might have been fun the first two, time, two or three times around. But imagine day five, day six, day seven. Get up, march around the city in silence, go around in a circle, and then go home. I mean, have you ever done something that God asked of you, even though, even though you thought it was going to be foolish to do so, people, you were thinking, gosh, if I do this, people are going to think I'm like a religious fanatic or something. Like I'm going to be a freak. Have you ever, have you ever been in a place like that? Something where you just knew if, if, if God didn't come through, it was going to leave you embarrassed or worse for doing so? Maybe originally, maybe originally the people of Jericho were a little bit scared. I mean, they see a million plus people marching around this city in silence and they're like, uh-oh. What's going to happen? What are they going to do? But then they march around the city and they just go home. And then they come again and they do the same thing. Now, eventually, I'm thinking by day four, day five, the fear has kind of turned into jeers and taunts. And they're like, okay, here they come again, guys. Get a good seat. Let's let's watch them march around the town again. I'm sure by this point, they're taunting and jeering them and just saying, what are you going to do? what, What do you think this is going to accomplish? You're going to put, put, run a rut around the, around the walls until it eventually falls down? I mean, what, what is this supposed to do? I mean, I, I actually think about, I mean, I'm, I'm a Monty Python fan myself. I don't know if any of you remember Monty Python. I can't help but in this moment just think of the French taunter. Did you remember this scene? I mean, th- that is what's in my head when I'm seeing this scene. I'm seeing that guy standing there saying, your mother looks like a hamster and your father smells of elderberries. But... I mean, just imagine these guys standing on the wall just watching. Okay, here they come again. I think, what are they going to do? They're just going to march around the city again. They're just going to go home. Let's, let's, let's watch and see, what they, see if they... Maybe they'll talk today. Who knows, right? Imagine having to have the faith to do that, to exposing yourself day after day and them thinking, wow, is this the best your God's got? Day after day after day, the same thing. It's an act of faith, and it's an act of obedience, really. I mean, we read here in this story no negative spirit, no spirit of discouragement or of disbelief as they march circles around this city. Obedience here is the key, not understanding why. And that's really true with all matters of faith, if you think about it. God's hand moves not because we understand, but because we commit and we obey him in faith. Our faith shows before other people, and our faith grows through the commitments that we make and the commitments that we stick to, even when they become uncomfortable and they seem to not be working. You and I, we can easily rationalize our way out of the commitments God asks of us, can't we? I know I certainly can. When his plans don't seem to make a lot of sense, everything in me wants to try to come up with a better solution for God. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but that's what faith is really all about, right? Trusting God, even when everything by sight doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Some people don't see the answers to their prayers simply because they stop one or two rounds short of conquering their own personal Jericho. I believe that. We start off doing the right things, but as days drag on, we shift to living by sight rather than by faith, and we miss out on God's answer. We've made four or five circles around our Jericho, and then we give up 
And we don't go back out again. And we don't see our answer. I mean, think about it for a moment. Do you, can you think of any marriages that have been lost that perhaps could have been saved if the husband or wife hadn't given up quite so soon? How many people who haven't come to a place of surrender because their friends stopped praying for them. They prayed for years and then there came a point where their rational mind kicked in. It's like, ah, this isn't really doing any good. They stopped looking for opportunities to share the love of Christ with them. How many many of us have failed to defeat our own Jericho because we gave up? We tried. We made a few laps around the city. But then it started to seem pointless. And we gave up. Dealing with the Jerichos of our lives requires persistent obedience. There's a story in the Bible of a guy named Naaman. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. But it's in 2 Kings chapter 5. God told uh, this man named Naaman through a prophet, Okay, you've got leprosy. I know you want to get rid of leprosy. The only way you're going to get rid of this leprosy is to go down into this river and wash yourself seven times. and, And then you'll be healed. Now, when you read this story in 2 Kings 5, what you see is that Naaman is struggling. He's like, this is a dumb idea. This makes absolutely no sense. Why would this even work? And he struggles with it and he struggles with it. But finally, he just gives in. He's like, okay, I'll just do it. And the seventh time around, the seventh time he washed, not before, God took his leprosy away. You know, I love how Eugene Peterson puts this. Eugene Peterson's a pastor and an author. He actually did the message paraphrase of the Bible that many of us like to read. This is what he has to say about this, which I think is so profound when you think about it. Christian discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. Think about that. Christian discipleship, in other words, following Jesus, committing to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, it involves a long obedience in the same direction. In other words, the process to grow in faith requires being committed to obeying God's call to us for the long haul. God brings answers into our lives through faithful obedience. In the end, we see, if we're committed and we don't give up, that God is faithful to His promises to us. He says on the seventh day, to not just make a circle around the city one more time, but to actually do it seven times. The same thing over and over and over again. I actually read uh, one commentator said that the circumference of the city was about three miles. So they had marched over 20 miles that day. Round and round and round. By the, fourth, by, by the seventh time around, they shouted and the walls just all of a sudden crumbled to the ground. I mean, imagine that sight. They had their breakthrough, finally. And it says that the story spread far and wide what God did through their commitment and their obedience that day by faith. Our faith does show before people, and it grows through the commitments that we make and the commitments that we keep. So let me ask you this morning, in what areas of your life is God calling you to make a commitment? In what areas of your life is God calling you to keep a commitment that he's called you to a long time ago? Do you see how commitments are essential parts of living a life by faith, of of walking by faith? 
Imagine what God can do in you and through you if you choose to make commitments when he asks you to and you stick with them until the end, no matter how hard it gets. Right now at Grace, we are in the thick of a time just like that, in my opinion. We're in the last days of conquering our own Jericho. I call that Jericho space for grace. (laughs) Friday night, several leaders at Grace met here to pray together. They met together to pray and to ask God's blessing on this faithful vision for the future and that God would somehow use us and the resources that we have to accomplish the first part of this vision, which is space for grace and expanding our church campus to be prepared for the people that God will bring us. That night, there were 47 families that gathered here in this room and they decided to make commitments that night toward the campaign. And out of the $1.4 million that we need to be able to see this whole thing through, it's my joy to share with you that these 47 families promised $587,000. These 47 families, 42% of the commitment for the whole church. Isn't that amazing? We thank God for their commitment and their willingness to step out in faith with all of us. Now, it might be tempting to think, wow, that is incredible. Uh, We should easily hit our goal. But let me just put a little bit of context for us all here today. It will still require every one of us who considers Grace Their Church Home to be present, to be prayed up, and to be prepared to sacrifice next week in order for God's purposes to be achieved. I believe that. I believe God is going to expect all of us to, to step forward to be able to see this dream come into reality. It won't take the sacrifice of just some. It will take all of us offering a sacrifice that is pleasing to him, whatever that is. I'm asking you this morning to, if you haven't already, to commit to praying about this and asking God about making a commitment with us because we still have a big chunk to go. We've got about $800,000 that we need to see come in uh, over the next three years for us to be able to do this full expansion. Now, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that when we all work together, we can accomplish what we can never accomplish on our own. And it's easy to think that, well, my pledge, Dave, or my commitment won't make that big of a difference. And you know what? It probably won't. But all of us, uh, a couple hundred strong, all sacrificing together, we can totally do this. Next Sunday, remember, we're not meeting here. We're going to be at CDO High School, and we're going to all be together in one big service at 1045. We're going to be all worshiping together as one big community, which we haven't done in a really long time. But it will be a day that we bring our rocks. Uh, Hopefully, some of you, many of you have been already working on your rocks. I'm hoping that my family will be able to work on ours even maybe this afternoon. But we're going to, that rock is a reminder. As we take it, we write on it, we paint on it, whatever we're doing, that we're reminding ourselves of the goodness and faithfulness of God in our past as we look forward to our future together. I want to ask you to bring those rocks next Sunday to CDO, and we're going to be constructing this seven-foot-tall Iron Cross Memorial to remind not just ourselves in the years to come, but future generations about the goodness and faithfulness of God when everyone comes together and believes by faith in what God has for us. We're doing this because, in a way, there are walls around our city, too, Think about it. Walls that need to be broken down. 
Walls that keep God at a distance for some. Walls of hostility, walls of brokenness, walls of addiction, walls of poverty, walls of loneliness, of hopelessness. God's calling us through this faith-filled vision for the future to love our city like we never have before and to meet the needs of our city. And I want to ask you to, maybe you've been coming to Grace for a few weeks or a few months and you're kind of deciding, I don't know if this is where God really wants me. I would ask you to pray. Is God asking you to make a commitment to love your city, to love your neighbor, to love the people on your street? Is it going to be easy? No, never is. But I believe that's what God's calling us to in this next chapter of our lives here together, to figure out how to love our community like we never have before. Great lives tend to be made around great commitments like these because great people are just ordinary people like you and me who make great commitments to causes greater than themselves when the time comes. We aren't born great. None of us are. Greatness, greatness is actually made. Take a look at this. When did we decide that greatness was something you're born with? Given only to superstars. Reserved for a few that were lucky enough to get the right strings of DNA. Greatness is earned, given to those who pay for it with their time and effort. It's available for all of us, within everyone's reach. But it takes work, practice, dedication. You have to make it a priority in your life. Greatness isn't a right, it's an opportunity. Discrimination is not in its character, nor does it judge. For greatness doesn't know these things. The only thing it cares about is if you are committed. God is calling each one of us as his kids to greatness. Greatness that comes through the commitments that we make and the commitments that we choose to keep. And along the way, guys, there are going to be some walls. There are going to be some Jerichos that we have to tear down, sometimes on our own and sometimes as a community together. People like St. Francis of Assisi, people like Hugo Gomez, they inspire Teresa and I. And they inspire us not because they were born great, but because they were ordinary people like you and me. Ordinary people who God used greatly because of one thing. They chose to commit. They chose to commit to something bigger than themselves and stick with it all the way through and not give up. What kind of commitments can you think of that God is asking you to make or that God is asking you to keep? Do you have faith in God 
that if you stick with that commitment that God has asked of you, that God will bring a victory in your life. I believe he will. Ultimately, our faith is shown to this world, to our community. Not by us having extraordinary talents or abilities, but by the commitments we make and the commitments that we keep. I pray that you will be a person when God calls you to dare to commit and see what God will do in and through your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know this is a hard message because, goodness, commitment is hard. It certainly is for me. I struggle sometimes with it. So often, Lord, I just, you know, I, I think about the commitments just of our day-to-day lives, like getting up and going to work each day or going to school and just doing all the day-to-day stuff, paying the bills. And, Lord, even that just seems like a huge commitment sometimes. Lord, it just seems like it's, it, it's easier when we're not having to do those things that we just... Lord, we just want to go home and veg out in front of the television or listen to music or watch YouTube or something, but not have to stand for a greater commitment, a cause of something that's bigger than ourselves. But Lord, you call us all to greatness, each and every one of us, and some of us choose to step forward and follow through with those commitments even when it gets difficult. And Lord, those are the ones who you use to truly make a kingdom difference. Lord, I pray that I will be one of those. I pray that we will all be people like that. People who make commitments and stick to them, even when it gets hard, even when relationships sometimes get in the way. Lord, I pray for each person here today who is struggling with some sort of commitment. Lord, maybe there, I, I, believe, I believe with all my heart there are some people in this room, God's spoken to you and he's asked you to make some sort of a commitment and you know what it is. You've been thinking about it all morning long and you've been hesitating. And God's saying to you this morning, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid that even though I've created you and formed you uniquely, that I can't do this through you? That somehow my hands are tied? That somehow my resources are limited or strapped? No. I've called you to this. I've called you to something greater than yourself. If you're here today and you're struggling with even a commitment to say yes to God, maybe you're here today and you've, you know, you've come a few times. I know there are some of you who come every week and you are st- have still not come to a place yet of saying yes to Jesus, of surrendering your heart and your life to Him. And I know, I pray for you constantly. I know that God's working in your heart and your life. And I know that you'll come to a point of making that decision. I'm convinced of it. Maybe today's that day for you. Maybe today is the day as we talk about commitment that you want to make that commitment today. Or maybe for those of you who are listening online, you're in that place today where you'd say, Dave, it's time. I've lived this life on my own long enough. I'm ready to trust God now and to let Him take charge of my life. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. And maybe, maybe for you, it's just making a new commitment to God because you've did that long ago, but you've just kind of been doing things on your own for a while now, and God's asking you to recommit to Him. I want to encourage you to join in me, with me in this prayer as well. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I place my faith and trust in you. 
I don't understand it. It doesn't make all the sense in the world to me. My logical side of my brain says, what are you doing? But Lord, I sense this seed of faith that you're planting in my heart. And Lord, I want to water it. I want to trust it. And I want to do that by trusting you. Lord, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know who you're going to be bringing into my life or the challenges that I'm going to face. But Lord, I know from this point forward that I don't want to do this on my own. I want to do this with you. I want to do this in relationship with you. And God, I say to you this morning that I trust you. With everything that's within me, I trust you. Help me, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight. This morning, Lord, I commit my faith and trust to you as I confess that you are my Savior and my Lord. Lord, I even say that by faith. And God, I ask that you would fill me with your Spirit. And Lord, that you would just invade my body and my life and begin to change me from the inside out. Lord, I ask that you would cause me to take greater and greater steps of commitment as you find the capacity in me to do so. Lord, I want to live a life of adventure and meaning and purpose. I don't want to just live life like everyone else around me. I want to live it with you. And so, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, help me to be willing to say yes, starting today, starting this week, in the commitments that you ask of me. In Jesus' name, amen.